Welcome to our fourth uh, conference, uh, our final conference of this day of recollection on St. Francis de Sales as a guide to growing in holiness. And so we've reflected on St. Francis and the importance of his message to us in the church and in the world today, and on the Immaculate Heart of Mary at Mass uh, on this uh, memorial of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and also about what St. Francis teaches us about prayer. I would encourage you to spend time reading through and trying to apply to yourself those beautiful teachings about prayer. As I mentioned, the introduction to the devout life is not something you have to read in sequence necessarily. Um, in fact, I often recommend to people to read the first six or so chapters in the first part, and then skip over the meditations that St. Francis de Sales gives for someone who's making a conversion, the beginning, the devout life, in their life, uh, because those serve a different purpose. You could skip ahead to the part on prayer and read that, and then you know how to meditate and pray, and you can go back and do those meditations at the end of the first part about creation, the end for which we were created, the gifts of God, on sin and death and judgment and hell, on paradise, and the choice that is given to us between heaven and hell. We can see how these reflect the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius in which he was trained. And how the soul chooses the devout life. And then St. Francis urges the person making the, these meditations to make a good confession. He talks about a general confession, which may be appropriate for some people at some stages in their journey. You know, in the baptismal liturgy of the church, there was always the realization that there is a turning away from sin and the devil and the works of the evil one and a turning to God. So this is the two parts of the baptismal promises, which I encourage you to renew on the anniversary of your baptism. And so in the ancient church, they would turn towards the West, towards the darkness and renounce Satan and all his works and all his empty promises. Then they would turn towards the East to the rising sun and profess their faith in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and in the church that he founded. And so this is really the dynamic of the growth in the devout life, or the life of charity, or the spiritual life that we are called to holiness of life. And so St. Francis de Sales tells us that uh, those who are trying to live this in the state of grace and sincerely trying to grow in charity towards God and neighbor are going to have uh, struggles and inspirations. I want to talk about that in a little way, in a little bit. But first of all, to realize there's really two elements that St. Francis is teaching of us. These are called in theology, ascetical theology and mystical theology. You know, in the history of the church, there's a recognition that there are the three ways of the spiritual life. There's the beginning conversion, in which the soul is trying to rid itself, herself, of mortal sin. And then after, for the most part, ridding oneself of mortal sin, there is the purgative, the uh, unit, illuminative way in which we grow in the light of God's love and grow in charity. And then finally, the unitive way. But the point is not so much to find where we are. We can be at different stages at different times. But to recognize that there is this progression that we are called to. And so ascetical theology, which comes from the Greek word that means effort and energy, refers to the efforts that we make 
to acquire the skill or the, the virtue of holiness, to become excellent. And so parents educate their children in all sorts of things, from tying their shoes to being polite, uh, to having care for their room and keeping things orderly. When we're, we're also talking about the ascetical tradition when we're exerting effort to die to self and sin. And we can't do it on our own. We need God's grace. But we also need certain practices. And this, why, this is why I think things like prayer and fasting, self-denial, uh, these spiritual practices, you know, the little things that help us remember the presence of God. When I was growing up in our farm, we used to take the palm branches from Palm Sunday and my mom would make them into a cross and put them in the outbuildings and say a prayer that God would protect us from the storms. And these are all things that can be done to fill our life with the Lord. Ascetical practices means these skills to develop the habits, like an athlete. St. Paul uses the analogy of an athlete and the athlete trains and disciplines his body to earn a, a, the crown of leaves, the laurel leaves that the, the Greek athletes would win, that withers and fades, and he says, but we work for a crown of glory that is unperishable. In other words, if we only knew the reward that God has in store for us in heaven, we would make much greater effort in this life, in the ascetical life. So we have to struggle. We have to acquire virtue and habits. We have to struggle against sin and against our weaknesses. Venial sin, of course, allows charity to subsist in this soul, even though it wounds charity. But mortal sin is incom incompatible with charity. And so this is why increasingly we are called to, uh, you know, rid ourselves of grave sin in our lives. But what is this mystical life? It sounds too much for us, really. You know, maybe only a few people are called to that. No, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2014 says, spiritual progress tends toward ever more intimate union with Christ. In other words, we should be growing in our relationship with Christ in a deeper friendship. And it says, this union is called mystical because it participates in the mystery of Christ through the sacraments, the holy mysteries, and in him, in the mystery of the Holy Trinity. God calls us all to this intimate union with him, even if the special graces or extraordinary signs of this mystical life are granted only to some for the sake of manifesting the gratuitous gift given to all. So we may not have the experiences, St. Teresa of Jesus, the ecstasies that she experienced, but God gives us graces and blessings. And I'm sure if you look back on your life, you can find these. Now think of the first time when God was really real to you. Think of the time when maybe at the loss of a loved one or some other sad thing that happened, you felt the comfort and consolation of the, your faith in God. Think of how maybe God gave you an inspiration to say the right thing or do the right thing or to prompt you to grow in the life of God. And so to believe that God's grace is present to us. And so in the transition between the third part in growing in virtues and the fourth part in special problems, St. Francis de Sales talks about how we should receive inspirations, uh, section chapter number 18. In other words, God gives each and every one of us inspirations, even to those who are not baptized, but certainly to the baptized. Inspiration means 
Spirare means to breathe, to breathe into us. Just as we refer to the Holy Scriptures as inspired by the Holy Spirit, causing the human author to write what God wanted him to write for us and for our salvation so that we might grow in our relationship with God, God still breathes his Spirit into our lives by these inspirations. They're actual graces that God gives us throughout the day. And so St. Francis de Sales uses an image of marriage. And it's interesting that he uses basically the same image for inspirations, those positive graces that God gives us, as well as temptations, which we'll turn to next. And so he writes, for an arrangement of a marriage, there must be three acts that relate to the lady and man that she wishes to marry. First, the spouse is proposed to her, for the man that she will marry. Secondly, she approves of the, appro the proposal. She, she likes him. She wants to marry that man. And thirdly, she accepts or consents and actually marries him. In a like manner, when God wishes to do some great act of charity in us, by us, or with us, he first proposes it by inspiration. Secondly, we approve of it. It gives us joy and delight. And thirdly, we consent to it. Now notice St. Francis doesn't say we accomplish it. Everything turns out wonderfully. It's perfect and, you know, everybody acclaims us as having accomplished this good deed. But that we want to do what God inspires us to do because it pleases us, it gives us joy. And so, just as there are three steps by which we descend to sin, namely temptation, delectations, and consent, we'll come back to that, so there are three steps by which we ascend to virtue. They are inspiration, which is contrary to temptation, delight taken in this inspiration, which is contrary to the delight that is taken in temptation, and consent to the inspiration which is contrary to the consent given to temptation, whereby we sin. And so we are given the ninth and 10th commandments, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife or thy neighbor's goods, as examples of how we can be tempted. But there are also examples of how we can be inspired to say a kind word, to return kindness to someone who uh, gives us grief to do something good beyond the call of duty and to do our duties, uh, to pray, uh, to write a letter, uh, to give a phone call, to encourage somebody, for example, who's uh, quarantined now, uh, to reach out to them with the charity that is in the heart of Jesus. And so uh, even if the inspiration lasted throughout our whole life, it would be unacceptable to God if we took no joy in these said, so in other words, we must delight in these inspirations. Uh, we think of this in St. Ignatius of Loyola, who thought about uh, the stories of knightly gallantry, and then he read the lives of the saints. And he recognized the difference in him, in that those romantic stories gave him pleasure when he thought about them, but it didn't last. But the stories of the saints were lasting, and, and so he said, why can't I be like the saints? And in fact, he accomplished that through the grace of God. So to find joy in the inspirations that God gives us is already something pleasing to God, and then to consent to them, to will to do what God inspires us to do. 
Next, I would like to turn to uh, a very helpful part of this uh, fourth part of the introduction to the devout life, which talks about counsels against the most frequent temptations. While we're in the world, we will have temptations. We need not see the devil in all of these temptations. You know, uh, and the inspirations, we shouldn't confuse our desires with the inspirations of God. Sometimes, you know, we're inspired to get another cookie from the cookie jar. Well, that's not necessarily God's will, although it can be a good thing. You know, God gives blessings to his faithful who, uh, to reward them for their goodness. But, you know, we shouldn't project our desires or the desires of nature and the inspirations of God, but see if it leads us towards the kingdom of heaven. And yet, at the world, we will have temptations and struggles. And of course, the way to deal with them is not to get rid of them by giving in to them, but to resist them with the mind and heart of Christ. And so, in part three, uh, the third chapter of the fourth part of the introduction, St. Francis de Sales talks about the nature of temptation and the difference between feeling temptation and consenting to it. Really what he's doing is elaborating on the teaching of the church about consent to sin or mortal sin. And he applies it to our growth in the spiritual life. And again, he uses the images of a love relationship because our devout life, our life of holiness, our life of growing in charity, is a love relationship with God. So he says, picture to yourself a young princess beloved of her husband to whom some evil wretch should send a messenger to tempt her to infidelity. So imagine there's this happily married woman and some messengers come to propose that she be unfaithful to her husband uh, with the man who sent these messengers. First, St. Francis de Sales says, the messenger would bring forth his propositions. In other words, they say, well, this is the message. Secondly, the princess would either accept or reject the overtures. I think I need to get the correct words. Um, first, the messenger states his master's intention to the princess. Secondly, the princess is either pleased or displeased with the message and the proposal. And thirdly, she either consents or refuses. In exactly the same manner, Satan, the world, and the flesh see a soul espoused to the Son of God, and they send temptations to it. By these temptations, the sin is proposed to the soul. That's the first step. Secondly, the person is either displeased or pleased by this proposal. And thirdly, the person either gives consent or refuses. These are the three steps to the descent into iniquity, temptation, delight or delectation, and consent. And although these three steps are not always clearly evident in all kinds of sin, they may be seen clearly in great and enormous sins. You know, temptation can last even throughout one's whole life. But as long as we don't give in to it, we haven't sinned, you know? And so St. Paul was tempted. You know, we hear the stories of St. Francis and St. Benedict who were tempted to acts of impurity and St. Francis threw himself into the thorns and St. Benedict threw himself into the snow. And so we have to have courage in the face of temptation. We may feel temptations, but if we are recognizing them as a temptation to sin, 
and are displeased with them, we say, Lord, I feel tempted right now. I know this isn't pleasing to you. I don't want this. Then we are actually doing something that is pleasing to God. It happens all the time in every age uh, throughout the world, but especially today when we have, you know, not only the news and many good things coming to us through the internet, but all sorts of temptations that come to us through screens. And sometimes it requires special actions rather than just prayer and turning away from them. Sometimes we have to develop a program of life to overcome uh, impurity or pornography on the internet. And there are many good things on the internet actually to help you to attain purity of life, to have someone that you talk with outside of confession. Confession gives us forgiveness of sins, but oftentimes it's an addiction that we're talking about. And so we have to take the steps to overcome the addiction. We can't talk about that in detail here, but to recognize that's um, something that happens. And so this are, these are the ways in which St. Francis shows the way God made us and how we can respond to this call of, uh, to holiness of life. And so, um, as to the delight that follow a temptation, it must be noted that there are two parts of the soul, the inferior and the superior. The inferior part does not always follow the superior part, but acts apart by itself. So St. Paul talked about this and he said, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the evil that I hate, I sometimes do. It's a very good reflection on our journey as Christians in, in the spiritual life. That happens to all of us. And so, hence, it often happens that the inferior takes part, takes delight in the temptation without actually giving consent and does so even against the will of the superior part. And he recalls St. Paul saying, The flesh lusts against the spirit. And there are laws of the members of the laws of the spirit. And he gives the example of St. Catherine of Siena, who in her dialogues, relates the story of her conversation with the Lord, her mystical life with the Lord. And she complained to the Lord, you know, I was being afflicted by all of these temptations of impurity. Um, and uh, uh, see if I can find it. There is a striking story about St. Catherine of Siena's struggle with similar occasions. The evil spirit was permitted by God to assail this holy virgin's purity with the greatest possible fury. And since he was not allowed to touch her, he made every kind of impure suggestion to her heart. To move her more effectively, he and his companions came in the forms of men and women, and before her committed thousands and thousands of lascivious carnal acts, adding to them the filthiest words and solicitations. Well, she didn't have the internet, but she was allowed to be put to the test, you know. And although these were done outside her, yet they penetrated through her senses deep into her virginal heart. And she herself confessed her heart was filled with them to the very brim, so that except for the pure higher will, there remained nothing within her unshaken by this storm of filth and carnal pleasure. You can take whatever sin it is. Maybe it's greed or envy. Maybe it's pride or maybe it's, you know, sloth. It doesn't have to be lust. Uh, and, and so this temptation, St. Francis assailed, continued for a long time until our Lord one day appeared to her and she said to him, 
Where were you, my sweet Lord, when my heart was filled with such great darkness and fill? And he answered, My daughter, I was in your heart. But how could you stay within my heart, she said, where there was so much impurity? Is it possible that you can dwell in so foul a place? And our Lord replied to her, Tell me, did the filthy thoughts within your heart bring you pleasure or gloom, grief or delight? And she said, The very greatest grief and gloom. And he replied, Who placed this great grief and gloom in your heart? But me, who remained hidden in the very center of your soul. My daughter, believe me, if I had not been present there, those thoughts which beset your will, which you could not drive away, would certainly have conquered and entered into it. Once accepted with pleasure by your free will, they would have brought death to your soul. Since I was present within you, I put that displeasure and resistance in your heart, and thus enabled it to reject the temptation as far as it could. And so uh, we must realize that there's a difference between temptation and sin. The devil will try to tempt us and frighten us. He's doing that to a lot of people now. He's causing them fear. And so they don't get close to God. They don't trust in God. They don't trust in other people. And he tries to keep us from revealing what's going on in our spiritual life. This is one of the things St. Francis points out. You know, the devil likes secrecy and uh, covering things up. Imagine if someone was going to try to tempt someone to sin, a daughter of a household, like the daughter of the soul of a person. What would he do? He wouldn't tell the father or the brothers of this girl. He would try to keep it a secret. You know, the devil likes secrets. But if we're honest with our confessor when we go to confession, our spiritual director, or another person, perhaps a friend of the soul, then that counteracts the work of the devil who likes to keep things hidden. The also, the, the devil is very clever. He appeals to our weaknesses and our flaws because we all have them, you know. And so he generally attacks, like a good general, at the weakest point. And so we must not be afraid of humility and uh, acknowledging our sins and relying even more on the grace of God, especially in our times, but in all times, the Catechism says chastity means the integration of sexuality within the person and thus the inner unity of man and his body and spiritual being. Sexuality which man's in which man's belonging to the bodily and biological world is expressed becomes personal and truly human when it is integrated into the relationship of one person to another in the complete and lifelong mutual gift of a man and woman. The virtue of chastity, therefore, involves the integrity of the person and the integrality of the gift. And so it's a self-mastery, an apprenticeship in virtue, which is training in human freedom, the Catechism says. I just want to conclude that St. Francis de Sales re recognizes that the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience are made by vows by some people, not lay people in the world, but then he recognizes that all people are called to, in some ways, be poor of spirit, be chaste, and to be obedient. And so to think about, we can have things and use them for the glory of God and for the good of others without being attached to them, to pray for that detachment from things. We uh, recognize that according to God's plan, the gift of marital love 
is a great blessing within marriage and only to be used within the covenant of marriage. And outside of that use, because of the importance of it, it constitutes a grave sin. And so to practice chastity in thought, we can sin in thought, not only in deed. And the importance of obedience to the Lord, his commands, and to the church, his, the teachings of the church, even though the persons in the church may not always be worthy, uh, they can still stand in the place of Christ for us, and we are to be obedient to them. And so in conclusion, I want to call upon what St. Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, that I am sure that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Maybe I'll never meet all of you who are taking part in this retreat, but we can hope and pray that one day we will meet in the everlasting kingdom. For it is God at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this idea that God gives us inspirations and we will to take delight in them and to put them into effect to the best of our ability with his help. Because we need God's grace. Jesus said at the Last Supper, without me, you can do nothing. And prayer is the normal way in which we receive the grace of God. This is why the importance of prayer in, in our daily life, to make that commitment to prayer and try your best under the help of God's grace to carry it out. For our Lord said in the, the Sermon on the Mount, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And him who knocks, it will be opened. And he uses the example of a father uh, with a son. If he asks for bread, would, would he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, would he give him a serpent? And our Lord wants to give us holiness. He wants to bring us into his everlasting kingdom. We should have a confidence in him, not based on presumption, but upon prayer, so that we can acknowledge him as the author of the gifts that he gives us. And so there are things that God wants for us that we can obtain only through prayer and cooperation with his will. In these trying times, I want to just uh, conclude with a quote from St. Francis de Sales. He says, do not look forward to what may happen tomorrow, the same everlasting Father who takes care of you today will take care of you tomorrow. He will either shield you from suffering or give you unfailing strength to bear it. Be at peace then and put aside all anxious thoughts and imaginations. St. Francis de Sales, pray for us. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. We want to thank Monsignor Seeker for his presentation and retreat today on St. Francis de Sales. Just a reminder, of course, again, that all of our upcoming retreats and recordings of our past retreats here at Good Council Retreat House are available at our website, goodcouncilretreat.com. We do ask that you might consider giving a donation to the Retreat House, and we pray for all of you as part of the Retreat House family. God bless.